The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. This is Jason Witter, author, illustrator of Tiny East Vampire and Monsters Eating Ice Cream, and you are listening to Aaron's Horror Show. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. On Aaron's Horror Show, we're going to go ahead and read some horror fiction and talk about horror in all its forms, books, movies, you name it. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can go ahead and contact Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. I got no movies for you, or TV shows, or anything. I didn't watch anything this week. I am apologize about that. My wife and I are kind of moving, and so didn't really have time to sit around and watch anything. So I decided, you know what? I still want to give you something, so I'm going to give you two chapters of tuners. So two chapters of tuners coming up. Uh, Let me give you a quick recap in case you are just listening for the very first time. Uh, So Tuners is about this uh, group of people that kind of travel between universes. They uh, do that by listening to the sound that the universes make, the cosmic background microwave radiation something it's a science thing uh so you know they 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 hear the sound of different universes they use these devices to kind of track those sounds and then they tune to different universes and uh in this particular chapter one of their own has been kidnapped by the evil bad cultists that are these weird people that just want to kill everyone that's not part of their universe. And uh, they captured one of the tuners and they're trying to figure out how to get him back. And uh, there's this universe called Universe 89 that uh, the leader of the tuners, Hector, he really doesn't want people to go to Universe 89. And uh, the other tuners are like, what the F if there's technology in Universe 89 that uh, we can use to go ahead and fight these evil, weird, creepy cultists, then we should go tune there. And so this is the chapters that kind of go with that subplot. Alright, I hope I didn't reveal too much. Anyways, enjoy. Enjoy. 
Chapter 19 John walked into Ludie's lab. There were various plants growing in jars. During the kid's rec time, he studied botany from various universes. The kid also played some sort of multi-user resource game. A medieval village was on the screen of his computer. Ludie upgraded his civilization to early Middle Ages. John, he said without looking back, what brings you to my lab? Patel didn't tell you, John said. John figured he'd wait for the others because he wasn't sure where Ludi stood. Ludi could be Hector Snitch or just too honest for his own good. John walked to one of the jars. There was a tree inside. It looked like a redwood, but it was too small to even be one or even a tree for that matter. It looked more like a model from the railroads they had at the state fair when he was a kid. John got close, and the tree moved and smacked against the jar. Be careful, Ludi said. That's a hybrid from Universe 27C. And 1076 AAAA. In 1076, all the plants were carnivorous. And you can guess about 27C. Everything is small, John said. John wondered if there was more to the books like Gulliver's Travels or Alice in Wonderland than he knew. Ludi built a military building and then scouted the next province over. We nearly caused a worldwide catastrophe when we first tuned to 27C. Needless to say, we don't go back. How long has this been going on? John said. Me or the organization? Ludi finished maintaining his game and turned to John. One year for me, I gained the ability to turn earlier than most. I've been doing lab work to keep me on the project before I lose the ability to tune myself. It's a little too early to plan for retirement. <laughs> Tell that to Hector. Hector, John said. I, I thought he had a ten-year stint. Yeah, he started losing his hearing at 26. Yeah, so people age out. It sounds like we have a long way to go before then. Yeah, that's what Hector thought too. At least for his younger brother. It's not uncommon for siblings to have it too. His brother discovered it at 17. His brother didn't make it to 18. What happened? Hector began to make mistakes in his tunes. Transported his brother to a universe where... A whisper sounds like a sonic boom. His brother is stone deaf. We're not sure how Hector survived. He doesn't like to talk about it. John didn't say anything for quite some time. If what Ludi said was true, it explained why Hector was so adamant about not going to his home universe. Which upset John even more. Abby had nothing to do with his mistake. In addition, it wasn't like Hector would be tuning anyway. It's not like his brother would even know about it. John was even more determined to go to 89. John wished Patel would get here soon enough. If this place was around when Hector was our age, you figure they would have had discovered every universe by now, <laughs> Ludi said. Soda Pops, my friend. Soda Pops. Universes float around so you get different ones on a different day. If they float around, how do we get to the same ones over and over? 
like universes are all generally in the same area. Think of each universe like grains of a sand on a beach. Most of the sand is the same grain. The chances of you finding a universe like your own with minor variations is high, thus A, B, C, D, etc. Then you go far enough down the coast and there are some different beaches with different enough sand to classify them separately. 40, 41, 42, etc. Of course, every so often the tide washes in the sand from a distant shore. Don't forget that there are plastic particles from the decayed soda bottles mixed in with grains of sand. Void universes, where empty space is pure acid, where atoms can exist. So, 42C, or something, there are other me's walking around? <laughs> Good luck with that one. The odds of your parents meeting and that none of their ancestors died before they gave birth is pretty remote. Then add to the fact that your mom's egg came in contact with one single sperm among millions that your dad at that exact moment, not to mention that it could be billions upon billions of other variations if they tried to conceive more than once, uh, the chances of you existing are practically zero. The chances of finding another universe where all the history leads up to the same moment of your birth, that's like zero divided by zero. It doesn't exist. Now, if you excuse me, Ludi said, my break's over and I have lots of hybrids to create. Finding the most useful combination among all the universes isn't going to create itself, you know. Before John could say anything, Meet Hook Patel DeAndre entered the room. Ludi looked up at them and rolled his eyes. Duty, Patel said. We need to borrow the invisibility cloaks. Like uh, Harry Potter, John said. They are not magic. There is a science behind it. The light refracts off the material, Duty said. We can have explanations later, Patel interrupted. Can we please just have them? You can do all equipment requests through Hector. We are going to Universe 89. Uh, that's crazy. The cloaks are untested tech from Universe 138. I'm not even sure they can even do anything yet. It's not for us. It's for Abby, DeAndre said. Yeah, bro. She's one of us, Meat Hook added. Ludi looked at all of them. They were very serious. Hector sent us back to our universes to find a new set of tuners. Dude, bro. Meathook put his arm around his shoulder. You know we do it for you, bro. Ludi breathed heavily and gnawed at his upper lip. Oh, fine. But you didn't get them from me. I, uh, left the lab unlocked? Ludi opened a closet where all the experimental technology was kept. There were lots of different equipment and gadgets everywhere. In the corner, there was a rack with six suits and a gray surface on one side and a visible layer on the other. Each person took one off the rack and began to suit up, except for Ludi. You're not coming with us, John said. Me? I'm a medic. I don't know what I would do for you. There's a lot you can do. We'll need one of you if one of us gets wounded. Each looked at Ludi. He could see it in their eyes. I guess I'm in too deep now. Ludi said and grabbed a suit off the rack. Chapter 20 The disembodied heads of the tuners stood outside the door to operations. 
John thought they looked pretty funny in their suits. According to Ludi, the fabric of their bodysuits refracted light in such a way that it looked like nothing was there. He also assured them that the tech in the suits had been modified with the Universe 1 tech so they wouldn't fry when they were tuned. Since they weren't wearing their masks yet, they looked like a special effects in kind of a cheap movie. Ludi even had backpacks for them. The kid had all his Universe 1 gadgets that only appeared when he unzipped his bag. It looked like a hole in the air when he was packing it. When John had asked about the weapons, Ludi said they would tear the fabric with any bulky or sh sharp objects. DeAndre shrugged and made a comment about not needing the armaments if they were invisible. All right, DeAndre said and looked through a window to the doorway of operations. Brady setting up the nighttime system check. When he opens the door, we'll sneak past him. I suggest holding hands with each other. We won't want to run into each other once we are in operations. Through the small window on the door, they could see the last technician of the night. He flicked off the lights and walked away from his workstation towards them. They all wrapped the mask over their heads. Each one of them disappeared from view. To John, it felt like he was looking through a mesh like when his mom made John a pantyhose mask when he wanted to be a thief for Halloween. His mom had made him a cliché robber outfit with a striped shirt and a candy bag with a big dollar sign on it. He wanted to wear a black bodysuit and jump between laser security systems like the thieves on TV. He wasn't really impressed with the suit. The hallway looked empty, even though he could hear their breathing. John fumbled around for Patel's hand on one side and DeAndre's on the other. The door opened and they tiptoed through. It stayed open longer than usual, but the tech didn't give it a second glance and was long gone by the time it closed. The doors in Tuner's HQ were all coded to DNA. It was a great way to make sure people who needed access could have it and keep those who don't need it. While the Tuners had access to OPS, it was only during the day and emergencies. Their DNA could also lock them out during times where they weren't supposed to be there. The equipment looked strange and ominous at night. Without the workers and the chatter of people, it felt like the life was sucked out of the room. Even though Tuner's HQ was a station floating between universes, night and day was still observed for the benefit of the people on the basis of most people of Earth had a 24-hour day-night cycle. Only a few people would work at night, mostly cleaning crews, security, and the hospital staff. Most of operations staff worked during the day. However, there were occasions where operations crew were roused from their sleep during an emergency. Hector was in his office near the top of the room. He was busy at work, he wasn't looking down into operations, but it didn't prevent him from just turning his head to see what was going on below. Does that guy ever stop working? John said. Nah, Meathook said. Rumor had it that when he was a tuner, he didn't even stop training. When he wasn't tuning, he was practicing weapons. I guess we're screwed, Booty said. Let's pack it in. We'll be back tomorrow. John heard the sound of someone being yanked back and DeAndre said, We may not get another shot at this. Abby is one of our own, and she could be dead tomorrow. Now, each of you, go boot one of the stations and get them ready for a tune. 
By the time Hector notices, we should be at Universe 89. There'll be nothing he could do about it. What about me, John said. I don't know how any of this stuff works. Figure out a way to bar the door, DeAndre said. Why? Because Hector is going to send a team to stop us. John felt the hands of his compatriots disappear. One by one, computers and various equipment began to turn on. A light flickered here. A boot screen appeared there. Hector was still at work in his office. John turned toward the door of the room and looked around for a solution. It was a sliding door like the doors of a facility. He couldn't block it off because it would just rise into the ceiling like a science fiction movie. Because the DNA scanning technology was built seamlessly into the door, there wasn't a panel he could destroy either. John was no closer to figuring how he could prevent anyone from coming through the door when he turned to see Hector standing at the window of his office. He no doubt saw all the machinery coming to life and the coordinates being tapped into the navigation computer. DeAndre flipped his mask off and his head appeared over one of the stations. There's no point in hiding anymore. Hector spotted us. How's that door coming along? John tore off his mask and said, There's nothing big enough to block it off entirely. At least nothing that isn't bolted down. Hector's voice appeared over the intercom. I know what you are doing, and trust me, I thought of it too. If there's a possibility of it working, I'd consider it. Universe 89 is a dangerous and warlike universe. I don't want to lose all of you too. Don't listen to him. DeAndre said. He's just trying to distract us while the security comes. It's not distracting tactics, Hector said. The boot sequence takes far too long. I just don't want to drag you into the brig in front of the rest of the crew. John heard security shouting down the hallway. He knew they would be here any minute. The rest of the team's floating heads were busy on one station or another. John looked around the room for something to help, and, and then he had an idea. The guards coming around the hall got closer. Hector demanded them to reconsider their actions. John ran for a toolkit near one of the technician stations. He dug through until he found a screwdriver. The shouting was almost upon them. John ran towards the door. The door was on its way up when the floating screwdriver and John's head skidded to a halt near the door. He jammed the screwdriver into the side and the door stopped inches off the ground. John could hear the security agent inform Hector about the door. Hector's pleas turned into demands. He yelled at them and threatened them to, to drop them off in a deserted universe. After the last instrument was configured, the platform powered up. Buzzards and lights flashed about a tune. Hector pounded against the window. The team ran towards the platform. They all pulled out their TF3s. Patel held John flipped through the dial until they got to Universe 89. She gave him a thumbs up with a disembodied hand. TF3's touchscreen couldn't be accessed without invisibility gloves. John was starting to remember the sound of different universes. He learned quickly because it was a lot like music for him. Rashawn had a game called Name That Tune and John was the reigning champion. They would cover up the screen of their phones and play a song at random. The first person to name the song would win the round. John would usually get the song on the first drum beat or the first couple notes. Most of her friends had to wait till they heard the singer before they could even guess. Whatever made John good at recognizing songs worked for hums of universes. 
during the process of dialing for Universe 89, he recognized the cultist's home universe again, as well as 39E. It was clear to him that much like the beat of a song, he could hear universes. While they were getting ready for the tune, a glass shattered in the conference room. A team of security swung through the window with their ropes. They were all holding weapons and sent a round of energy blast towards the platform. John didn't even think twice before he hit the tune button on his device. Most of them disappeared right before a stun pulse disabled them. Ludi was not so lucky and was hit before he could tune. He collapsed on the floor and the muscles went rigid. Hector huffed and turned towards his office door. John appeared in the long, bright hallway. There were fluorescent lights stretching in either direction. He was no longer as disorientated from the tunes as he used to be. The others appeared around him. They took off their invisibility suits and shoved them into their invisibility backpacks. Their normal clothes were underneath their suits. While they were undressing, Patel said, Where's Luti? I think they got him, Meadook said. Anyone know where we tuned? DeAndre said. Patel pulled her map up on near TF3 and the others leaned in close. John couldn't see what was happening, so he decided to walk around the corner of the hallway. There was a soda machine and the mall beyond that. It looked like a run-of-the-mill mall, just like from his universe. The stores had different names than he was used to, but still looked normal. The militaristic and warlike universe Hector warned about didn't seem to exist. A black man with a baseball hat hit the side of a soda machine. He turned to John and said, Man, you got a quarter? John flipped the man a quarter from his pocket. John wasn't even sure it would work in this universe, but it was worth a shot. John thought the rules of universe contamination were a little silly anyways. A quarter wasn't going to alter the course of history. At worst, someone would think it's a joke or fake or something. The man put the quarter in the slot, and DeAndre and the others came around the corner. You ready? He asked John. Yeah, John said. Ready as I'll ever be. They took off into the mall, leaving the man behind. The quarter John gave him went into the slot and out the coin return. The man tried it several times. The machine didn't accept it. He inspected the coin and said, Hey man, what kind of money is this? However, John was long gone. Alright, that was two chapters of Tuners. I hope you liked it. Alright, well if you didn't get a chance to listen to Sandman's Lullaby last week, you should go ahead and listen, because guess what? I'm on it. I'm the guest. Yeah, you should listen to me. Yeah, so uh, if you want to hear an interview with me, go ahead and check it out. Uh, if you're looking for more stuff, you should listen to Real Paranormal Activity on Mondays. You should listen to me on Tuesdays and Terry's Mysterious Moments on Wednesdays. And, of course, the next Sandman Lullaby. You know, listen to the last one and listen to the next one. Just listen to the show. You know what? It's a good show. In fact, all of the shows are good, 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 good stuff here. I enjoy all of them. I listen to all of them. And I hope you should, too. Thank you.